0: Hi, good morning. good morning. Welcome everybody here to our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Uh, real quick, uh, we have an announcement before we get started. So Family Fall Fest is next weekend. So it's going to be Saturday the 19th from 3 to 6. So here's what Family Fall Fest is. So if you have kids and, and obviously you're a family, we want you to come join together and fellowship together as a family. There'll be a lot of fun things for kids to do, and an opportunity for you to get to know more people at the church. Now, here's the deal. So it's not something for you to come and drop your kids off, okay? So if you're thinking, oh, it's a free night, get rid of little suckers, and we'll, you know, go somewhere else. This is an opportunity, because here's what we've said from the beginning. We're trying to figure out, and we're praying through, we want to reach a generation of young people, right? And We want to be able to see uh, young people know the Lord and have great faith. One of the things we know is, is that it takes a family to be able to do it, right? Whether that's your immediate family or other families around you, we know that that's a part of it. So we wanna do things together as families so we have opportunities to minister to each other, love on one another, get to know new people. So make sure that uh, you're, you come next weekend, hang out and have fun with us. Here's the other part about it. If you can cook chili or even if you can't cook chili you know there's a chili cook-off and so that will be a part of that day so we'd love for you to make it even if it's terrible it's fine just bring it you know there'll be plenty to go around somebody eats it somebody's like me where it doesn't really matter what it tastes like you just eat it right so chili cook-off so if you want to be a part of the chili cook-off you're going to be cooking something see Sarah she's there in the back Uh, to let her know that you're gonna be cooking and we'll have a great opportunity to be together as a church and as a family of believers. All right, spiritual warfare. So we have two weeks to go. Now, uh, instead of going through, trying to figure out how to recap everything, I guess I wanna start it with this. If you're new for the first time, we've been in this for four weeks, we have two more weeks to go. I would suggest that you go on our app, if you haven't downloaded our app, make sure you download our app, Go on there, watch and or listen, or you can do that on our website too. But either way, watch or listen so that you can get caught up to the things that we've been talking about because a lot has happened you know, over the past four weeks that we want you guys to know and what's happening. So this all builds together towards that. But I do wanna say this. So the emphasis of the spiritual warfare is this. The war is real and you have an enemy, so we know that. So the war is real and you have an enemy, And the feeling that I got this week as I was preparing, you know, for this message and preparing for the things uh, that we wanted to talk about, here's what I felt like God saying. For too long, the Christian church and or us as Christian people have not only not been standing our ground, but we've been giving up ground, right? For way too many years, we've been allowing Satan to take ground that, that should have never belonged to him and that for we as Christian people should not only stand firm in where we're at, but for some of us in our lives, we need to take some ground back, right? Like we need to get back in the game and take back what Satan has stolen away from each one of us. So the emphasis as we go into today is the idea of how do we take some ground back? How do we get engaged into the world, That into the war? That's what we've been talking about for the past four weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about it this week. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians six. So Ephesians six, pretty popular um, scripture that a lot of people when it comes to spiritual warfare talk about because it's about the armor of God right so it's an opportunity you know Ephesians six uh, and we're going to start in verse 10 but before we get there, I want this emphasis right so ephesians 6 10 here's what you need to think about okay so we know that you have an enemy and we know that that enemy uses tactics to be able to distract you away from your mission. So here's what I want you to see. Two main things, because we talked about it in multiple different ways, but it all sums up to this. Here's what Satan wants you to get to. He wants you to not trust God, okay? So in all of the things that he's trying to do for everybody in this room, it happens in multiple ways, right? And in different ways, it manifests itself. But at the end of the day, Satan's scheme, I don't know what his scheme is in your life, But ultimately, what he wants for each one of you in this room is to not trust God. You know why? Because if you don't trust God, you won't obey God. Right? Like those two things go together. And we know this, right? We know that the more that you trust somebody, the more that you're in love with somebody, the more you have a relationship with somebody, the more that, and you wouldn't even call it obey anymore, you would call it as like, I just want to do, Right? Like, it's not just, oh, I have to obey the rules. It's like, I want to. Why? Because I love you. And I love you because I trust you. Like, it all goes together. So no, the schemes of Satan is first to get you not to trust, and he knows if you stop trusting, then you also not obey. Right? So we have to get to the place, and I don't know where you're at in this. Like, I don't know, because some people would say, I trust God in most areas of my life except for, right? like, you could fill in the blank. You know, and and for us today, we want to get to the place where not only can you figure out how to trust God, right, and get to a place where, you know, you can have confidence in him again, but you can figure out how to engage into the battle, and you can take background in your life and the lives of other people, okay? So in Ephesians 6, we're going to be talking about the armor, and it gives us some things right from the beginning that we need to think about, okay? So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, right away, Paul brings up something that's vitally important, right? So he tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and you need to put on the full armor of God, right? Now, there's a reason, okay? He says you need to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground, right? Because here's what you need to know, right? If you are not, or if you don't have on the armor of God, you have no ability to stand against the schemes of Satan. Okay, so this is what he's painting a picture. You're either moving, you're either standing firm or moving forward, or you're going backwards. Does that make sense? So you're either engaged and dug in and standing firm and or advancing the kingdom, or you're going backwards in the battle, okay? So he gives us that picture right from the beginning. And then he goes on and says this in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So again, he paints this picture. Who's your enemy? Satan, where's the war going on? Inside of the spiritual realm. We've talked about all of those, but again, If you're reading your Bible, studying your Bible, you have it on your phone, and you get to a therefore, what should you do? Circle it, underline it, bring a highlight to it, and here's why. He's saying, now that you do know this information, and you are no longer ignorant that there is an enemy, and no longer ignorant of where the battle's happening, and no longer ignorant about the war, therefore, you better do something about it. And this is all of Scripture. Because if you don't do something about it, consequences are coming. Things are, you know, things are going to happen inside of your life. So here's what he says Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, really important. It's not if the day of evil comes. So for everybody in this room, this isn't a like some people get attacked, some people don't get attacked, the more faithful get attacked and the people that just kind of stand on the sidelines don't. He says very specifically, when the day of evil comes, and you, if you don't know this, let me make sure you do know this. There is a promise inside of the Bible that you can count on all the time. Not like you can't count on all of them, but maybe one that you forget. Here's a promise. While you're in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise inside of Scripture. While you're in this world, you're going to have trouble, so you need to be prepared for what that trouble. That's why he says, so that when the, um, so that when the day of evil comes, uh, you may be able to do what? Again, stand, right? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, right? Now, I want to paint a picture for you that I think is a reality inside of the lives of Christian people today. So think a lot of people who are, are or were new in their faith. Right? When you get to this new in your faith, you're like pretty excited, and you have this childlike faith, and you're like, God can do anything, and he's changed my life, and there's all this exciting stuff, and you put on the armor, and somebody said, get ready for the battle, and you're out there, and you're in the battle, right? and you're thinking, like, God is so good, and I'm going to fight for the kingdom until life happens. Anybody been down that road? And then all of a sudden, someone hits you upside of the head or smacks you in the side of the face, or something in life gets disrupted, and then you're all of a sudden, you're like, dude, this, this is a bad idea. <laughs> like, it was way easier to not have the armor on and not do, like, I can be a Christian. Here's what I want to hear you, hear me say. I can be a Christian without being engaged in the war. So you know what you do? You set your armor off to the side, and here's what happens, because this is the story of your life, I bet. You took the armor off, and then all of a sudden you started to drift. Right, so you started to drift in life and you started to fall away and you started to go backwards and you started to go in a different direction and you started, like you're going down this road where all of a sudden you were, you were like this and now all of a sudden you're drifting away from it. Is this anybody's story? Anybody ever been here? You know what I mean? Like you're on fire and you take the armor off because you got slapped inside the mouth. You're like, okay, I'm gonna sit on the sideline or I'm just not gonna do it. Like I'm gonna attend church. Like I'm gonna get, but I'm just not gonna engage. You put the armor off and then all of a sudden you see this drift. And you drift until you get hit in the mouth again. Or you drift until you get hit where the armor was protecting before and then all of a sudden, they're like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, I better get back in the game. I better do something about it. So my hope is this, right? My hope is, is that you can figure out by looking at the armor and what it's for and what he's saying, how you can figure out how to keep it on all the time how you can figure out to stay engaged and be a part of what's going on. Not just so that you don't drift, right? Like I don't want you to come, I don't want you to get to the place like, well, I need to put the armor on and the reason I'm putting the armor on is I just don't want to drift away from God anymore and I just don't want to go down these roads. I want you to put the armor on so that you can stand your ground. You hear me? Like I want you to stand your ground, but I also want you to take back ground that Satan's taken from you in the past. That might be your family. That might be your kids. That might be relationships. That might be stuff inside of your workplace. But God was victorious over this, and yet we've given it over to Satan. And it's time to not only put it on to protect ourselves and let us stand firm so that we can get in the battle and engage in what's going on, Okay. So he sets this picture up that you need to know or you need to put the armor on. Now, Here's why I think it's important to look at it then. So what is the armor? How is it that God was explaining it? And how should we then understand it so that when we do put it on, we know what we're doing, okay? So that's where we're gonna go next. So he goes on in verse 14, and he says now, let's talk about the armor. What does the armor look like and why is it important? So here's what he says. Stand firm then, just like he's been talking about, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, this one's hard, and I'm going to try to get you guys into the picture of what was going on, because obviously we don't understand hand-to-hand combat very well. Like, we don't understand what it was like to be in war back then. We, you, you might from watching it on the History Channel or things, but we don't engage in all of those things. So I'm going to do the best I can throughout all of this scripture to say, like, this is what it was like then, and maybe you could think of it this way. So here's what I want you to understand. Back then... Most people wore dresses, including the men, right? Tunics, right? Like, that's the things that they wore. They wore around these tunics. And again, so what he's saying to them is like, hey, nobody goes out fighting with their skirt down, right? Or their dress down. Like, nobody does that, right? They got to pull your skirt up to get ready to go so you can be ready for the fight. Is that? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Let me help you with this. So if any of you guys, this is a back in the day thing, so people tell me all the time when I talk, I age myself, so I'm gonna age myself again. So you know back in the day when you were in high school and something went on between a couple guys, back in the day, you just went out back and fought, right? And you just had it out and then everybody was friends again or you just, you know, you got it over with. Well, here's how it worked back in the day. When you were going out to fight, right? You got prepared to fight. You know what you did as a guy? You took your shirt off. You know why you took your shirt off? One was to be like, you want any of this? (laughs) So part of it was the intimidation factor, right? Like, you you seeing this, right? Here was the other thing. You know when you went out there and fought, what that guy was gonna try to do if you were a good fighter, if you had a shirt on? Pull it over your head and beat the tar out of you. That's what he's going to do. He's going to rip that sucker over your head and just start pounding you. So you got prepared. You took your shirt off, and you went out to fight. Well, it's the same thing. He's saying, you know what? If you're going to go out to battle, hike your skirt up, right? You need to get ready to go. You need to act like you're prepared because nobody goes into battle with their skirt down, right? And so he's saying what you need to see is so they would pull it up, and they would take a belt, and they would wrap that belt around them so that when they went out there, they were prepared for war, right? They were prepared to move. They were prepared to be used. So buckle on, the belt of truth was this for each one of us, and this is what he's saying to you. None of us in this room should be walking around with your skirts down. Nobody in this room should walk out of your house with your skirt down, not prepared for war right? Because when you do, right? Because you might be one of those guys, well, when the battle comes, I'll get my skirt up. You know, when the battle comes, like, I'll, I'll get ready to fight. Listen, nobody goes into a fight and like, hey, hold on a second while you're hitting me. Can you just stop hitting me for a second? Let me pull my skirt up, right? Like, nobody does that, right? Nobody's going to stop hitting you while you get ready to go, right? You got to be prepared when the fight comes. You need to be like, I'm ready, Like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be a part of what's going on. So he's saying, as a Christian person, part of the armor of God is, is getting ready to fight. Part of the armor of God is saying, I'm going to walk out my door every single day knowing this. Outside of my door, or maybe even inside of your house, there's a war going on. And the question is, are you ready to fight? right. Are you ready to go? Are you going to be the, be the one that's prepared? Here's the other picture that he wants you to see. So back then when they would fight, right, it was more than just one person, right? So in it, there would be multiple people coming out to do battle. And inside of this, they would look at all the people to see if they were prepared for battle because some of them were on the front lines, some of them were the backups, and some were the people like if too many people got killed, they could step in. Right. So the thought back then was if you walked out there, right, whether you were a Roman soldier, or whoever you were, if you walked out there and everybody else has their stuff tied up, you know, your dress tied up, and then there's somebody in the back that had their dress down and you would say to them, hey, you need to be ready to go. And they're like, well, when it's time to go out onto the front line, you know, I'll be ready to go. They would kick that person out of the army. Like nobody gonna be out here that's not gonna walk out here that knows they have my back, right? Nobody wants to fight with somebody who's still got their skirt down. Can anybody relate? Right, who wants to go to battle with somebody that's not ready to fight for you? Who's gonna have your back? Who's gonna be ready, you know, who's gonna be ready to protect in the time? Because as Christian people, here's what you need to know. Sometimes the battle isn't yours. Sometimes the battle's for other people. And you need to be ready to fight for them. When they're down and unable and not prepared, you need to be the person who steps in and you can fight for them. You need to be the person who can step in and do whatever needs to be done. And if you're sitting on the sidelines because there's no war in your house right now, you got a problem. Why are you even on the team? Or even are you on the team? Let's be honest. If you walk out of your house every day and you're not, you know, prepared to go, are you even on the team, right, and so he would tell us that that's part of the truth, that we need to get ready, not only for ourselves but for other people, and the reason that they call it the truth, right, so it's not just like, here's a belt you need to put around you, the reason they call it the belt of truth is for a couple different reasons, one is, is that we would recognize what the truth of scripture is so that we could understand who we are based upon scripture, the truth, who are we, right, Children of God. That's the truth. What do children of God do? Engage into the battle. That's the truth, right? There is no, it's a lie if anybody says, I am a child of God while I'm sitting over here watching everybody else fight the battle. No, you're not. You're not. Like, the truth of Scripture says, if you're a child of God, then you're engaged. Now, again, you might be heavenly engaged, you might be protecting, but either way, you're in it, right? So we need to understand the truth of what Scripture says about us, and we know from the beginning. Like, we know that Satan's going to try to play with your mind, and he's going to try to play with your identity, because he knows if he can get in your head, problems are going to happen, right? So understanding truth. Here's the other thing. The reason to talk about truth is back then it might have been different, you know, on what he was trying to get at, but the other point that he was trying to get at is to wake you up to the reality that's things going on around you, right? He's saying, wake up to the reality that when you walk outside of this door, there's a real war going on and you need to figure out how to engage in the war, right? Stop living in your fantasy land. Because you know how that works, right? Sometimes we create this bubble of comfort around you where you just, you know, set everything up so it happens inside of your circle. As long as it's okay inside of your circle, the rest of the world must be okay. Nobody else does that. I'm just saying, like, you set it up. Like, you live inside of this fantasy world, and outside of your fantasy world, there are real people dying, There are real people being drug away, like real things are happening in the lives of people. And Satan's like, just stay in your little fantasy world because inside of your fantasy world, you have no idea what's going on. You need to get the truth. In fact, I think it's harder today than ever before. And, And again, I'm not trying to pick on social media or what happens on social media or how much time young people spend on social media. But do you realize the more time you spend on social media, the more you live in a fantasy land? The only people saying yes are the parents and their kids are like, right, no way. And I'm not in a fantasy land, right? And I'm just telling you, you realize that most of what's going on in there is not real life. I mean, it might be snippets of life, but it's not the full picture. Yeah, right, like you're getting a small tidbit of what's going on, but you don't understand the whole rest of what's happening around that, and we just live or try to live like people that you're seeing this much of their life, right? You're seeing a snippet of just a little bit of the things that they're doing in life, and you're like, man, I wanna be like that. How do you even know that person, right? How do you even know what that person's like? So belt of truth, right? So you need to get prepared for the war in your own life, prepared for the war in the lives of other people, and you need to get out of the world that's keeping you distracted away from the idea that there's a war going on. Good? Yes. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. So he says, belt of truth. The next one, a part of the armor, is the breastplate of righteousness in place. Breastplate, right? Surrounded around your vital organs to keep you from getting killed. Right? So your vital organs, the, the breastplate was, was there to keep you from taking a blow that would end up killing you. Right? So putting this on back then were to protect the things that could kill you. So what does it mean when he says the breastplate of righteousness? So let's talk about what is righteousness, first of all. Let's make sure we talk about that together. Two types of righteousness inside of Scripture. Here's the first one. Right, The righteousness that comes through salvation. Okay, now, I want to explain it to make sure we're all on the same page. No one can stand in front of a holy God unless they are perfect. We good with that? Some of you are like, mm-mm, mm-mm, right? But nobody's, nobody's perfect, right? So how does anybody ever get to heaven? Right? How can anybody ever enter into the kingdom of heaven if we have to be perfect, right? Here's why. We are made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ so that when you stand in front of God, he no longer sees you, but he sees the blood of Jesus, which now puts you in right standing. Does that make sense, right? So now you are considered righteous not based upon what you have done. Now, this is really important. Listen to me, because this is a huge problem in the church. Like if you're getting up there and you're thinking like, I, I should, I'm going to heaven because I go to church and I'm going to heaven because I read the Bible and I'm going to heaven because I pray and I'm going to heaven because I attended Bible study and I'm going to heaven because I was on the quiz team when I'm younger and I know everything about scripture. I wanted to heaven because, just so you would understand this, you might be in trouble. You're not going to heaven because of any of those reasons. You're only going to spend eternity in heaven because Jesus Christ died for your sins. So if you think somehow you deserve this idea of righteousness or right standing based upon your religious activity, you're going down the wrong road. Okay, Our right standing, our righteousness. So when he says put on that breastplate, here's what he wants you to know. You didn't earn it, so nobody can take it away. So the accuser who is trying to convince you that you are not saved is from Satan and not from the Lord. And that's a vital blow for some people. I've seen this. People who've went through life and they've made some mistakes and pretty soon the church and everybody around them be like, they must be going to hell because, I mean, a Christian person would never do that. I'm like, who are you to talk right? Because your righteous acts in the eyes of God are like filthy rags, so don't get too high on yourself, right? Like, don't get too excited about yourself or the things that you're doing, because in the eyes of God, all sin is deserving of punishment. And the only way that we're free of that sin is because of the blood of Jesus. That's righteousness, right standing. Got that? Here's the other righteousness, holy living, Right? So what does it mean to live holy? Now again, this is where it gets confusing because sometimes people read the Bible and say they're holy because they keep all the rules. Anybody those rule followers or you grew up in a rule follower home like follow all the rules because when you follow all the rules, God's happy. Right? So just so we're on the same page, if you're reading scripture in a way to try to figure out how to follow all the rules, you're in trouble. Because you can't follow all the rules. And just so you understand, you're going to, at some point, you're going to be on that treadmill and you're not going to know what to do because you keep falling off the treadmill because you keep trying to follow all the rules, right? We were never supposed to read scripture, become holy by trying to figure out what all the rules are and try to follow them. That's not the righteousness or holy living that he's talking about. In fact, I say this and I use this example all the time because it tends to come up all the time. Like people who read the Old Testament, right? And they read the Old Testament and they're like, well, it's this rule and this rule. And the reason I don't do these things is because of these things that it says in the Old Testament. Anybody? Right, like, well, this is the rule. This is what it says, right? And I'm like, are you reading the Old Testament to become a Jew? Because that's what that was, Right. Like the Old Testament, the law that was in the Old Testament was to say, if you want to be a good Jew, these are the things you do, right? And they're like, well, what about the scripture that says, don't get a tattoo? You know, that's why I don't get a tattoo. Come on. Anybody? Like, I don't get a tattoo because the Bible says not to get a tattoo. And I only use this is because I love to use this. Because in that same scripture where it says, don't get a tattoo, you know what else it says? All you clean-shaven people out there are heathens. So either grow a beard, right? Grow a beard, right? Or stop getting caught on the tattoo thing because it's in the same scripture. Does that make sense? It says don't mark up your bodies and don't shave the edges of your beards because back then it fit in the Jewish culture to separate, separate them from Egyptians. right? That's what made sense back then. But that's not the way we're supposed to do it today, right? Like, we're supposed to read Scripture so that we can be in deeper relationship with the one who created us. Because remember this, remember. Preaching salvation to people to keep them out of hell is a false doctrine. Listen to me. When you go back clear to the beginning, I want to make sure I explain this because some people about died when I just said that. But I want to go clear back to the beginning. Adam and Eve in the beginning, right, had relationship with God, right? They walked with him, they talked with him, they spent time with him, they ate with him, they drank with him, they did all of these things together, they were in relationship with him. But when they sinned, what happened? What was broke? Relationship. So God sent his son to come back to fix what? Relationship. The message of salvation is relationship not rules. The message of salvation is not give your life to Jesus so that someday you can go to heaven but live however you want. That's not the message of salvation. It's just not. And for all of those people who are living and have bought in to the doctrine that just says, you got to get out of jail free card because you signed a card one day when somebody asked you to get saved and now you're doing whatever you want but you don't have a relationship with Jesus is the person who's going to stand in front of him someday and say, but I did all these things in your name and he's going to look at you and say, I don't know who you are. Because the thing that was important from the beginning is relationship. And what he wants for each one of us, holy living, this is how it works, and you already know this, right? When you build a relationship with God by reading scripture to build a relationship with God, you know what happens? You fall in love with him. You know what happens when you fall in love with him? You just want to serve him. It's not even a rule anymore. Anybody ever been in a relationship like that? You know that's how it works in your marriage, right? you serve your spouse because you love them, right? You do the things your spouse wants you to do because you love them, and it's out of love, right? It's not duty, right? Duty only happens when relationship is strained. Anybody? Like, it becomes more duty the the less the relationship is. When you're in a deep relationship, it's like, God, whatever you want me to do, right, however you want me to go, whatever, you, whatever road you want me to go down, those are the things that we need to be able to do. And the other part when we read this is not only that he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, you know the other thing that he wants for everybody in this room? See, God knows this about everybody. Everybody in this room designed uniquely, thank the Lord, right, like we don't have to be like anybody. You just get to be yourself and do whatever, you, you know, for yourself, whatever those things are. But God has a destiny and a calling in everybody's life here, right? We know your mission, but your mission is different than your calling. So the mission for every single person in this room is the same, reach people for Jesus, right? The great command, right? The great commission, go out, reach, teach, and send people. Everybody's is that, but how we get there, it's completely different. And he's laid out a path for each one of you to be on. And you know what he says about the path that you're on? He says, I put this path in here, and when you're in relationship with me, I put some of these rules in place because here's what I know. Every once in a while, you're gonna be gawking going down the road and you're gonna hit the guardrail and it's gonna scratch up your car and you're gonna be disappointed, but you're not gonna end up in the ditch. Because you know how you end up in the ditch? Disregard and do not obey any of God's law. That's how you end up in the ditch, right? You end up doing your own thing and instead of just like, pumping into the guardrail every once in a while when we get distracted, your car's now in the ditch upside down and the water's coming in. And you don't know what to do, All right? Like that's what happens when we choose to go outside of that. So righteousness or holy living is based upon those things. So you put that breastplate on to protect your vitals because he knows inside of that that those are the things that need to be protected. Here's the next thing. And your uh, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of Peace. So he's like, you need to get some shoes on, right? You need to be prepared. You know, just like he says, you know, hike up your skirt, put on your belt, put on your breastplate. Well, now he knows, you know, for anybody to go out and do anything, like if you want to go hunting, if you want to go fishing, if you want to go play basketball, you know, if you want to be able to go out and run, nobody, well, I don't say nobody, hardly anybody does it in their bare feet. True? Like when you're getting ready to do anything, well, like your kids, the first time when, they, when I've got to go play football, I've got to get a pair of, yeah, when I'm going to play basketball, i got to get a pair of shoes, right? Like you, there's always something because they know, well, I think it's a little bit overrated, but you know the shoes, right, make me a better player, right? The shoes make me a better runner. The shoes, I mean, and they got to have the look, you know, whatever the look is, you got to look good. and it makes when you look good, you play good. Come on anybody, right? Like this is stuff you, you get these things, but it, nobody goes out there and be like I'm not going to put any shoes on. So he's telling you you put your shoes on because you know that if you don't and you go out there in your bare feet, if you walk and run or do things in your bare feet for too long, it starts to affect your knees, which starts to affect your back and pretty soon you're sitting on the sideline. Right? Like if you're not not ready. So he's like, "Get your shoes on and get ready to go because here's what he's trying to build into you." Right? You only put your shoes on when you're going out to do something. We get that? Do you need your shoes on when you're in the recliner? You know what the problem with Christian people today is? They don't need their shoes because they're in the recliner. You know why you're not getting your shoes on? Why well, put my shoes on? There ain't nothing to do. It's way too hard anyway, right? I don't want to go all the time to put my shoes on. It's way easier. You know, and this is where we sit sometimes in our lives. As Christian people, you got your feet up. And when somebody says, get your shoes fitted for, you know, moving forward in the gospel, you're like, get my shoes on. I ain't got nothing to do. Right? And you can't get this in your mind because here's what he's trying to tell you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are in the game, you better get your shoes on because you better be busy moving the gospel forward. And you can't do it without shoes. So first he says to you, you better be ready because it's your responsibility to advance the kingdom. And if you ain't got your shoes on, you're sitting in the recliner not doing nothing, bad idea, right? So you need to be ready or you need to be prepared. And in this, this is what he says, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? Why? Why is it the gospel of peace? Why would he say you need to go out and you need to share the gospel and that you need to share the gospel of peace? Well, here's what we know. Before God, right? So before you gave your life to Christ, I don't know if some of you can remember this, but think back at it for a second. Before you gave your life to Jesus, there was this thing where you were out there living a life of sin away from God, trying to satisfy all of your desires. And how many of them were satisfied? So so a few of you remember that day, right? Like you're going down, you're going through the motions, you're going, you're trying to satisfy it with you know, whatever it is in your life, and even though you think it's good, it's never satisfying. You're never at peace. Does that make sense? Right, you're never at peace. When you finally get at peace is when you give your life to Jesus, and now there's a sense of peace that you never had before, right? And that peace is... I'm no longer an enemy, or God's no longer my enemy, but I'm in relationship with him. Because when you're not in relationship, remember what scripture says? If you're not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of the kingdom. There is no neutral. You're an enemy. You're on one side or the other. So he says there's this gospel of peace that happens when we finally get into right relationship with him, and when we get in right relationship, there is this sense of peace, right? Because now I can be something that I could never be before, right? I could never go down those roads before. So he says, we preach the gospel out of the peace that it brought us, right? So when we go out and preach the gospel, it's not to fix everything in your life and now everything will be okay. You know, that's another false gospel. If you just give your life to Jesus, your whole life will be great. You'll have all the money you want. Your kids won't be crazy. Your wife won't be crazy. Your husband won't be crazy. And everything will be good. (laughs) Good luck with that one. Like that ain't the way it works. You give your life to Jesus so that you can settle something inside of your heart that wasn't settled before. You, when you get in right relationship, like I tell people this all the time, we need to remember this. If you wanna love your husband and or wife and or any other relationship, give them what they deserve, you gotta settle something with the first relationship. Because I'm just telling you, if you don't settle with God, a relationship with him, you're going to expect things out of your husband that he'll never be. Like, you'll want it, but you can't get it, right? You just are never gonna be able to go down those rows to be able to get those things because he was never made to be that place in relationship. She was never made to be in that place in relationship. But once you settle in your heart that Jesus is the center, that God is the one that I'm in relationship with. You can now love your husband and wife the way that they deserve. And you will be able to give to your husband and wife the things that they deserve because you've finished or settled something in your own life. So we need to be ready to preach the gospel of peace and that we can go out and preach this without fear, right? Because now we're on God's side. Does that make sense? Okay, let's keep moving. So in addition, this is verse 16, right? So in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now here's what I want you to see, another battle picture. So here's how the battle works. So there were a front line of people, you know, and sometimes that front line was two or three and all of them had shields, right? Behind the front line of those people were the archers, right? So the people that had the shields would take their shields, dip them in water, and they would, when the arrows started coming, because the enemy would take their uh, arrows and dip them in tar and light them on fire and shoot, because they knew that if it hit something or somebody, it would not only catch their skin on fire or catch the things around them on fire and do a lot more damage. Does that make sense? So the shields were made so that as soon as the arrows started coming, what did the shield people do? They step back, they put them up so that not when the arrows would hit, they would only not just hit, they would hit the shield and because of the water on the shield or because of the way that it was set up, all of that would then be extinguished, right? And the people behind you would be protected. So he gives you that view. So here's what's going on. Satan is trying to lob arrows, flaming arrows at you. And if you don't have a shield, You're in trouble, right? Now, here's the problem, because I think most people in this room would get this. Most people know when to have their shields, right, when the enemy comes, right? Like think about that in the world. Like you know, you're getting prepared, you're going into a meeting, you're getting ready to talk to somebody, you're getting ready to go into a place, and you're like, I better have my shield up because this loser's lobbing arrows, right? Yeah, like you know what's coming, so you're prepared, but you know what happens? You know what Satan does more often than not is he works with the people that you trust and they start lobbing arrows, and then all of a sudden you start getting hit by the people that you've trusted all of your life. And you know why Satan does that? Because here's what he knows: if he can erode away your trust in mankind or the people that you trust before, you also not trust God. Does that make sense? Right? Like, he knows that you're going to let your guard down around the people that you trust. And so when they start lobbing arrows at you, right, and, and you, you're getting to those places and you let yourself open and all of a sudden you're like, how did that happen? What, did I deserve that? Isn't that what we normally feel like from somebody that we trust and they lob an arrow? We're like, where'd that come from? I didn't deserve that. I never said, I mean, this is me. I didn't deserve the arrow right? So I'm going to tell you two things about that because we live in a world where that's actually going to happen. So I'm going to tell you two things. Sometimes, people, you need to be a shield bearer for somebody else who's not prepared for the arrows. Does that make sense? Kind of. Like you need to to be ready because some people in your family might have their guard down, but you need to be the one to keep the arrows from coming. You need to be the one that's the protector. You need to be the one that's standing guard. You need to be the one that's in that place because you know the arrows are coming because we can't live in a world where we don't trust anybody. Well, I mean, you can, but it's kind of a miserable world, right? Like we don't trust anybody and you get to that place. So he's saying we need to be prepared to be able to understand how to be shield bearers for other people, not only ourselves, right? So there are times in our lives, because I just know how this works, Sometimes the shield gets a little too heavy for some people. You've been carrying it for a while. It's getting a little bit heavy. You've been trying to fight the fight, and it's hard to keep it up, and there's lots of arrows in it because people have been shooting a lot, and it's hard to keep it up there. It's your time then to step in for your friend and put up the shield. It's your time to step in and get prepared for the things that are coming because that's our responsibility. And I want you to see this. This is in Proverbs 30. So in Proverbs 30, five through six, this is what he tells us about the idea or about the promise that God gives us. Proverbs 30, five through six says, says this. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove to you that you are a liar. So here's what he says right from the beginning. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Here's what you can be guaranteed. You might be taking refuges, refuge in other places because here's what I want you to understand. The shield is God and not somebody else. The shield is not pills. The shield is not alcohol. The shield is not spending money. The shield is not, you know what I mean? How we rep, When we get in trouble, we go to a refuge. Anybody? Like you have something. Like there's something in your life when the world doesn't go right, you go, the shield does not work. The shield is not, whatever those things are that you've been trying to take refuge in, don't hold up. The shield is God and the promise is if you're in a place where you're getting or feeling attacked, you can be guaranteed that shield will never fail. Good? That's the shield of faith. Here's the next one he gives us. The the helmet of salvation. So take the helmet of salvation. Salvation. So here's what he knows: blows to the head, right, affect the way that we act. You get that? Like blows to the head affect the way that we act, and we see this. Like I remember, I used to play uh, football for Adam Central High School, and so we were in one of our playoff games, and is is actually one of the biggest hits I've ever seen. But Chad Ringer was coming down, the guy caught the pass, and you know you can't do this anymore, but the guy was like looking away, and I mean, Chad just leveled him. The hardest hit, loudest hit I've ever seen. We're all jacked up, and you know, he gets up, and he's like, and he's celebrating, and then he runs to the other sideline, you know, and I'm like, where's Chad going, you know, and in in that, here's what we know, right? See, there is no concussion protocol back then. Like, there wasn't like, get him on the sideline and keep him out. It was just like, run to the other sideline and bring him back to the right sideline, right, so we can get him back into play again. But here's what I wanted you to see. When we get hit in the head, we do things that we don't normally do, right? Like, you don't think normally when you get hit in the head, and so what Satan tries to do is give you blows to your head that will make you think unclearly, and when you're thinking unclearly, you will do things that you would never do before, right? And so that's why he says, you better put a helmet on because you don't have your helmet on. You're going to get hit in the head and you're going to start acting in ways that you shouldn't. So here's the one thing that we know. Here's a blow that he uses all the time to our head, right? Is he accuses us. Anybody ever been there? Right? Like, you are, you thought you were, but you're not, and you've done, and you remember all the things that you've done, and you remember all the ways that you've acted, and remember the, you remember how you talked to that person, and you remember that thing that you watched, and you remember that, you see, you see where I'm going, right? Like the accuser, and he starts whacking you upside of the head because he knows that if he can discourage you, right? He knows that if he can keep doing those types of things through accusing you, that he's gonna get you to act in ways that you wouldn't normally act, right? Because I've seen so many people, because they listen to the accuser, give up. And you know what the crazy thing is, is unfortunately, Christian people join in with the accuser, right, and that those things should never happen. This is that when he tries to accuse us of those things, We have to get to the place where we protect against that. And you know when it normally happens? I'll just give you a warning. Do you know when it normally happens where he tries to hit you in the head the most through accusation is right after success. Like you finally get to this place. Anybody, right? Like you finally get to where things are good and then all of the sudden it's like, but you're really not and but you and all of these things start coming in and he tries to accuse you. It happens all the time right after success and the things that are, that are going on right through that, through that time. And here's what I've always said, and I wrote this down, that a test of a person's character is what it takes to stop him. Because here's what Satan's knows: If he can hit you upside of the head long enough, he's going to try to get you to stop. He's going to try to give, get you to give up. He's going to try to get you to not think clearly. We need to understand this. You know, and this is where I've always tried to live inside of my life. I've tried to live in a way that would make it so that I would understand that my life, regardless of the situations of my life, are to be lived in a way that I keep moving forward, regardless of what happens and regardless of things around. And that's a principle that I've taken into my life. So before I gave my life to Christ, I used to meet with this mentor. And when I met with this mentor, I had a goal where I wanted to be. And so I was talking to him about how to get to this goal. And in meeting with him, he gave me an analogy that's never went away, and I've carried it over into my Christian faith. Here was the analogy. And I don't honestly know if this is really true, but I'd believe it. So back in the day, the the train engines or the locomotives used to be coal-fired, right? So the engines were coal-fired. And so to be able to keep the engine going, somebody had to work in the coal room, Right? And there was this great big pile of coal over here and then the, the, the box that lit it was over there. And they had a guy that his only job was to take the coal and throw it in and take the coal and throw it in. The guy told me one time, he says, if you try to do anything in life, here's what's going to happen. You're gonna be like the guy that goes up and down and you're gonna be trying to check everything and be in control of everything. So you're gonna try to make sure that the guy that's driving the train is good. You're gonna go back and make sure all the trains are hooked up and you're gonna go through and you're gonna make sure all the passengers are happy. You're gonna do and then all of a sudden your life's gonna get out of control, right? And your life is gonna get to a place where there's chaos and you're gonna get to this place where you don't know what to do. And he says, when you get to those places in your life, here's what you need to do. Go back to the coal room and shovel coal. Because as long as you're shoveling coal, The engine's going that way. And I've learned this in my life because I've had a lot of circumstances in my life where I'm like, is this really the way it's supposed to work? So I just land on this. Maybe not, but I'm gonna keep shoveling coal because if I shovel coal and if I don't give up, that means that train's still going that way, right? And so if I only have to wake up every day with one thing in mind, shovel the coal, shovel the coal, and then God, this is how I use the analogy, then God can go where he wants to go I do the things that he wants to do as long as I just do my part, shovel the coal. Now, here's where he gives us or here's how he gets it to a place where how do we, though, with all of that being said, like this is, this is the part that's kind of sketchy. How do we continue to live in a world that's discouraging? Right? Because he's telling us inside of this, like what we, what we need to be able to do is we need to put on this helmet of salvation. But, you know, sometimes life is discouraging. For anybody else? Yeah, I mean, there's this discouragement. Like you wake up every day and you start seeing reality. And as soon as you start making progress, it's like, oh, we're going back again, right? Or I was, everything seemed so good. And then it went bad, right? So how do you live in a time of discouragement? Well, in Isaiah, this is Isaiah 40, starting in verse 29. Here's what he says. He gives strength to the weary And increase the power of the weak. And you don't have to answer this, but I want you to think about this. How many of you or how many people around you are weary and weak in the world that we're living in today? Because we live in a world where there's a lot of discouragement and there's a lot of things going on that cause us to be weak and cause us to be weary. Well, here's what he says in verse 30. Even the youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Here's the deal. Worship team can make their way back up and we'll finish up. But here's what I want you to see. You know when things seem discouraging? You know how you can get through discouraging times in your life? This is how I've been in my own personal life. When I get those discouraging times and things are not going the way that you think that they they should go, I always go back to this scripture because at the end of the day, here's what I know. My hope is not found in this world. And that Jesus is coming back to either get me or I'm going home. And I know that in this world, there's a short amount of time, Right? And I can keep shoveling coal for a short amount of time. I can keep it with the hope of eternity, right? I can, I can take the arrows. I can keep holding up the shields. I can help other people. I can go down these roads, even though it seems like you're never going to get over the things that are happening. But at the end of the day, because there is a hope in eternity, I can get up every day and I can shovel coal because that day's coming. Anybody excited about that day? Right? The day that Jesus comes back or the day that we go home is a glorious day. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to love this world and love the things that are going on in this world, enjoy the things that God gave you and love the things that are going on around you. But when you feel discouraged, right? Don't let discouragement overcome you. Just start shoveling the coal and waiting to go home, right? And be prepared for those things. Now he ends it with this, right? So this is the last thing that he says to us. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now this is very interesting. I want you to hear this. So all of the other stuff, it's like, you know, you need to be ready and you need to have your armor on and you need to get these things ready to go because they're just this constant attack that's going to be happening. But you know, the sword is different. The sword has to be yielded when another sword is coming your way. Does that make sense? So it's like, At times, you're going to have to be skilled enough with the sword that when the attack comes, you know how to block it or you know how to be on the the offensive or you need to know how to be on the defensive. And so you need to be prepared that when the other sword comes, how do you use your sword skillfully? And you know what the the, uh, sword of the Spirit is? The Word of God. And you know what part of the problem is today? You know why we're not very skilled at using the sword? Because you don't know it. You just don't know it. You don't know what the word of God says. You don't know when when that attack comes because it's going to be specific. Like when this attack comes, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to say. These are the words that you need to recall. Like you need to be prepared for those things because those attacks are coming. And so we need to be prepared. And whether that's listening to more messages and just taking notes and trying to figure it out, Or if it's just saying this, is this what we know about everybody in this room? The promise of scripture says this, if you want to know what the word of God says, the Holy Spirit will reveal knowledge to you. So if you really want to know, ask him. Pray that he reveals it and he will give those things to you. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we understand obviously what we've talked about, that the war is real. And so today, as we've learned about the armor, here's what I want you to to give each one of us courage to put the armor on and to stand our ground. And Lord, not only stand our ground, but take ground back that belongs to you. May we be soldiers in your army for your kingdom. And may we be prepared for the attacks that are to come. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray, amen.
1: chains undone, sin defeated, Jesus has overcome, mercy triumphed when the third day dawned, darkness was denied when the storm was gone, unstoppable God, let your glory go far, we
0: So as we go out today, let's just keep that in mind that we do serve an unstoppable God. And so for us, as we look at which team to be on, as we fight with him, we would know that not only is he an unstoppable God, but we can partner with him in what he's doing in this world. So for all of us, this is my challenge. Get in the game, put the armor on, not only stand firm, but take ground back and allow God to get the glory. So thanks for being with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.